FM Breakfast Show with the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson. Welcome everybody, you're listening on 87, 6, 87, 8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio on this morning and a special shout out to all those listening on Bribie Island in Queensland this morning on 87.6. Fourth in Tasmania, I wonder where second and third is, but fourth Tasmania (laughs) on 87.8. And let's see, Canberra ACT on 87.6. Lawson, what are you thankful for this morning? Um, I am thankful for big burgers. I don't know that that's a positive thing. It, it is so positive, Lyle. I'm not convinced that this is a positive it was, thing. It was a, like, so, okay. I'm just thinking that big burgers might create big people, but not in a healthy way yeah but you just eat them occasionally and then and also make sure those big burgers are vegan and then and then you're good if it's vegan then it's healthy right not necessarily i well i guess i guess i'm misinformed but uh okay so here's the here's the thing here's the thing uh you're definitely better off to be on a plant-based diet nobody's mm. going to dispute that but there are a lot of plant-based meats out there mm. that you might find you might find in a burger it might be just jackfruit Mm-hmm. Which is just jackfruit, mm-hmm. but there are some plant-based, or it might be just a veggie patty, mm-hmm. which is just vegetables in a patty, uh-huh. which I really like. Uh-huh. Some of those plant-based meats are not very good for you. I don't think so either. But I ate like a huge burger. We were celebrating my friend's birthday, and it was just giant and vegan and amazing, and I was really blessed. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're about to get into positively different news this morning. And before we do that, Lawson's going to bring us a question for the quiz. Got an awesome prize here. Dr. Paul White, Jungle Doctor books, three of them coming your way if you can win this week's prize. Mm. Lawson, what have you got for us? Absolutely. Over whose descendants did the angel say Mary's son would rule? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. And you probably should because we're getting close to Christmas time. It's time to freshen up on your knowledge of nativity and the story going on there. But again, that question was, over whose descendants did the angel say Mary's son would rule? If you know the answer to that one, you will go into the draw to win three Jungle Doctor books. I have uh, some descriptions for the Jungle Doctor books here. Jungle Doctor's case study. Day after day, disease and illness will walk through the doors of the Mavumi Hospital. A deaf man is cured remarkably quickly and his hearing completely restored by one visit to the Jungle Doctor. Others have more serious illnesses and take longer to heal, especially those who haven't been treated who have been treated by the witch doctor beforehand. Uh, abscesses, broken arms, cataracts, burns, all urgently required medical assistance. Even someone who needs spectacles or false teeth can be helped by the jungle doctor. But each arrival is more than just another patient. They are people and they all have a story. And each one goes into the jungle doctor's casebook. So this is, this is like a children's book that's also like medically educational. Oh, very much so. If you are raising a doctor to be, this is the If you're raising book. kids and you want to then inspire them to be a doctor when they grow up, this is the book. This is the book. This is the stuff, right? I mean, this is, honestly, I where, where's the cutoff point for the age of this book? I, 
I loved reading these in my adulthood and I loved reading them for my children. Mm. And I, you know, you put one of those Jungle Doctor books in front of me right now, yeah, I'd sit down and read it. There is Absolutely. so much media that has lasting appeal in every generation. I think, like, the ultimate version of that is, like, the Bible. Yes. But even, yeah, these books right here. Absolutely. They're a fantastic prize. Again, that question was, over whose descendants did the angels say Mary's son would rule? 0491-064-669. Now, let's have a look at some positively different news right across the world. Uh, and this first news story I have, maybe you could say it's it's not super positive, but I am here and I'm going to do a defense of the potato. And that is because potato is the like greatest vegetable that Amen. exists. Amen. Praise the Lord. I uh, whenever I yes. I love doing like would you rather questions or like asking people questions or particularly you know every would time would you rather live on rice or potatoes? Oh, okay. That's that's actually that's tough for me. <laughs> for me, that's kind of hard. But for me, that's very simple. Potatoes. Potatoes. All day long. Well, yes. oh, I'm, man. I'm, just apologize to all of my Asian friends. You live on all the rice. Uh huh. L- leave the God potatoes. God bless you. <laughs> and leave the potatoes for me. Problem solved. Well, I do would you rather's or like ask icebreaker questions for Bible study small groups or whatever it may be. And it's whenever the question of like vegetables come up, it's like, what's your favorite vegetable other than potato? Because potato is just resoundingly the best. I'd like to hear from our listeners. Maybe they can solve this one. Uh huh. Would you rather live on Potatoes or rice? Or rice or if bread. You had, if you had a choice between the two, as like this is the only thing you get to have, mm-hmm. which one would you choose? Mm-hmm. You now, should... I know the nutritional value of traditional brown rice uh-huh. is probably more a complete <laughs> food. Who wants to eat brown rice? It's probably more <laughs> of a complete food than potatoes, but potatoes are not far behind mm-hmm. it. And so just from a perspective of... Which would you prefer? The one that we ask at church in, in regards to that is usually rice versus bread. And there's a pretty clear split in culture there Ooh. of rice versus bread. But, hey, rice versus potato. And we'll throw in bread as well. Which would you well, rather see, live on? See, that's two grains. You, you, you're mm. contrasting two grains there, wheat and rice. That's right. Whereas I'm contrasting two whole foods. Oh, there you go. Yeah. But. Or carob. A survey, a study has been done in Denmark where they've found that a bunch of people over there have this unfounded association between potatoes and diabetes. No. Like, no. Because potatoes are seen... Okay, so potatoes are seen as, like, a high-carb food. So if you eat a lot of it, there's, like, a negative... uh, You know, just like if you eat any carbohydrate a lot, there's a a negative um, health effect. But then, for some reason in people's minds, there's this jump to, oh, and it must cause diabetes as well. Oh, so this is just something in their head. Yeah. It's not a real thing. It's n- it's. Oh, it was about to be devastated. It's not a real thing. But for some reason, like, an, uh, like a huge percentage... Of what, Danes? Of Danish people... Uh, like, they, they surveyed 54,000 Danish people, which is, like, a lot of Danish people. That's a lot. And a, a huge amount of them, for some reason, had this connection. And just potatoes being bad for health in general. They're like, oh, yeah, potatoes are very poor for health and can cause diabetes. What? And then Danish people eat, like, Danishes and, and lots of meat. 
Now, the study did find that people who said potatoes were healthy, and this is interesting. This goes. I'm e- just like this even adds even more to like the maybe lack of ed- educational bad perception on how good potatoes are. But people who eat potatoes, like a lot of potatoes, like people who are more likely to eat potatoes, potatoes are also people who are more likely to eat red meat and drink soft drinks. So because because it's associated with an unhealthy lifestyle, those who oh. have an unhealthy lifestyle eat more potatoes. But the reality is... And maybe they eat them in the form of deep-fried chips. Yeah, like chips or... But even boiled potatoes or mashed potatoes, like people are complaining about like, oh, yeah, there's like butter in mashed potatoes. You know what the best... You know what is the best? What? Best way to eat potatoes. What's the best way? Okay, so pink-eyed potatoes, buy them in Tasmania. (laughs) Uh They're kind of small. (laughs) Pink-eyes, they're called. Boiled in seawater. Oh, just Amazing. That sounds pretty. I'm I'm a big roast potato fan. Yeah. So yeah. so you know you get your dish, you chuck potatoes in it, you put like a bunch of rosemary and a bunch of other vegetables too, garlic, whatever. Grab a kennebec or a brown or something like that. Just whack some oil over the top, herb it up, chuck it in the oven. What's your favorite way of eating potatoes? Let us know. We yeah. want to hear from our audience this morning. But if maybe you're out there and you have this unfounded notion that potatoes are terrible for you, and I have to say. No, you're wrong. Now they are a carbohydrate. Sure. And and carbohydrates, you know, uh they can you can have a reputation in carbohydrates like oh, it's it's just nothing carbs and you eat a lot of it and it makes you really full, but at the same time it's like, you know, just a huge weight in your stomach. Now, you need carbohydrates. You absolutely need carbohydrates because carbohydrates are a form of slow burning sugar. It's great to eat carbohydrates particularly in the morning and that's why breakfast cereal is a highly recommended Diet, of course. So we should eat potatoes for breakfast. But, dude. I would eat potatoes get, for breakfast. I used in, to eat potatoes for breakfast. Get stuck in for your potatoes for breakfast. But s- stop it with these false associations. Potatoes do not cause diabetes. They're good for you. Now, the thing was, is, like I said, I was having a birthday dinner last night, and I had some potatoes, but yes. they're in the form of chips. Deep-fried chips. Now, now deep-fried chips <laughs> with an excess of salt. Yes. Maybe you're going a bit too far mm-hmm. there. But the, the humble potato itself... Fantastic for you. Get stuck in. Stop thinking it's going to cause diabetes. There's so many different ways you can eat it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and let me say this. Let me say this. Okay, I'm I'm here. I'm putting my neck out for potatoes. Sweet potato is not a replacement for potatoes. Sweet potato is my least favorite vegetable. Really? And and I can. I just absolutely don't support the idea that they replace potatoes. I don't mind a sweet potato, but they are a different kind of a. Yeah. Different animal. I I really dislike when people are like, oh, well, do you want chips or sweet potato chips? And I'm like, well, like as in you can get both. But I don't know, for some reason, that that is a false equation, that they're like the same. And yeah, I don't mind sweet potato. I'm, I'm, I'm a sweet potato. I'll, go, I'll go a traditional potato over a sweet potato. Absolutely. But if you serve me a sweet potato, I will eat it with relish. I will eat it out of politeness, but just know in my heart that I never want to eat any sweet potatoes. In my life. Okay, so when you invite uh, Lawson and myself over for a games night, don't don't make me sweet. Just go with rice. We both like rice, dude. Yes, cook rice. <laughs> cook rice. Honestly, cook rice. We'll, we'll like eat rice at church, and we'll even eat like a like we'll have rice in like a burritos or something, and then we've got some leftover rice at the end of the meal, and it's like oh, just whack the soy sauce on so it. So here's and a question. Here's it. a question. Do Asian people embrace potatoes in the way that we embrace rice? Um, 
In in what sense? What do you mean? Well, so, well, you know, we have like so much rice in our diet. I mean, sure. that's traditionally an Asian food. Uh-huh. If you go to Asia, do they have as many potatoes in their diet as we have rice in ours? I would say probably not because even for us, you're, if you are someone who has rice in your diet, you would eat more rice than potatoes just in general. Mm. I know. Interesting. I know that's interesting because it's we more should, of a base. We need to do some research. On that's this. right. We, we need to out. get this survey done. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. You with the double L team, Lyle and Lawson. Lawson's going to bring you the second question for the quiz. I've got a teeth scratcher this morning. Ooh, this this is. I, I was getting ready to read this out, and in my head, I. I read this out and was it was about to come out of my mouth and I'm like, this is a fill in the blank question and it's this one is tough. Okay, faith without blank is dead. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Faith without blank is dead. If you know the answer. Again, that number zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call, and you will go into the draw to win three amazing Jungle Doctor books: the stories of Paul White getting around in the jungles of Africa, serving people's needs. And as we were saying in our last segment, these books are incredibly inspirational. And if you got kids, you want to inspire them to do well. You know, if you're if you're thinking about, oh, you know, I, I need my children to be a good retirement package. Uh, hey. There's nothing better than they could do than be a doctor or a missionary or to follow Jesus. That's like your number one priority, but it'd be pretty nice if they're a doctor too. And if you want to inspire them to be a doctor, well, we have the books for you. But again, that question was, faith without blank is dead. 0491 Okay, Lawson, have you ever tried purple sweet potato? John wants to know. I've tried every kind of sweet potato. Really? Yeah, I've tried pebble sweet potato. I don't know that I have. Yeah. And I'm, um, I know. It's it's a no from me. It's far better than the orange one. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure whether I have tried it or not. I probably have, but um, I don't mind it. Anyway, heading to more serious news, uh, we have this story uh, coming out of the United States, Southwest Airlines. Uh, back in 2017, mm. they, hi- they fired a flight attendant. Her name was Charlene Carter. And she was fired for two reasons. First of all, she posted pro-life messages on her Facebook account Mm. and she supported a recall effort of her union's presence. So she was part of the Transport Workers Union and she's like, nah, we need to recall this guy. He's not doing a great job. And so she got fired as a result of that. Mm. Her motivation behind this was because she was pro-life. She did not support abortions and the union that she belonged to and that she had to belong to to be a part of, uh, to be a flight attendant with uh, Southwest Airlines, um, was strongly supportive of uh, pro-abortion issues Mm. and they were funding their members free flights to uh, women's rallies that were supporting abortion and all this kind of stuff. Mm. And she's like, no, I have very strong religious objections to this. And she withdrew her membership from the, she, you know, she, she, she called for, um, you know, somebody else to take over the presidency of the union. That didn't work. And so she withdrew her membership from the union. Uh, interestingly enough, you can withdraw your membership, but you still have to pay union dues. Mm. And this is not an uncommon thing. I remember when I was an apprentice, 
back in the day, it was a very similar situation here in Australia where you couldn't choose not to join a union just because you didn't want to pay union dues. I think those, those days are long gone in Australia. Mm. Maybe somebody can correct me on that. But when I was in the trade, as soon as I finished my apprenticeship, I still had to pay union dues, but I could choose to pay those dues to a charity or something or other. Mm. Because the idea behind it was you can't just sort of, you know, shirk out of your responsibilities because you're being tight. Yeah. Like, no, you need to get in there and support the thing. But you could get conscientious objector status. Mm. And I could get that here in Australia. I could be a conscientious objector to joining a union based on religious belief. Mm. Because, you know, the Bible says do good to those that persecute you and despitefully use you. Mm. You can't really do that when you belong to a union. Mm. And so that was available to me. So a similar situation happening here. And, of course, uh, she was immediately fired from her job because of her comments. Um, she joined the Transport Workers Union in 1996. She left in 2013. She continued to pay her union dues uh, until 2017 when she started putting a bunch of pro-life Facebook posts up. Uh, she was questioned by the company and a week later she was fired for that. And so basically she was fired for her religious views mm. and expressing said religious views. Well, that, of course, has worked its way through the court system and mm. she has been exonerated by the court. The judge saying, well, bags fly free with Southwest, but free speech doesn't fly at all. Mm. And... Uh, she has uh, received the maximum punitive damages and reinstatement, so that is all the court costs and five years' worth of wages, plus she's been reinstated in her job. Five so. years' worth of well, wages? Well, she's been out of work. She's been five years since she was fired from that job. So Yeah, but she's probably been working since. That doesn't matter. So she she's was, got... She's balling. She's... Oh, they've hooked her up. That's amazing. The long and the short of it is you can't fire people for the, for expressing yeah. their religious beliefs. Absolutely. I'm so, like, <laughs> like for, I, I guess, for an airline company, the air hostesses and whatnot, flight attendants, they are the face of the company. They are. In, in a sense. Absolutely. But, but which person is like, what what person goes on a flight and then is like, hey, can I get your Facebook to the to the flight attendant? Like, that's such a personal Nobody thing. does that. No no one is going to no do that. No one has ever had done that. Mm-hmm. And she's, she doesn't seem like, if she's, I don't know, she sounds like a, a bit older because she's been working in that position since 1996. Sure. Like, say, middle-aged. Yeah, she'd be a professional airline hostess. She's been doing this for a very, very long time. Yeah, she doesn't sound like an influencer or something. No! She's, she's not no. sponsored by the company. This is just her personal Facebook. Yeah. That's insane. Anyway, wow. um, so Lawson, you're a, you're uh, you work for a church um, uh, as, as a Bible worker, and you want your church to grow. Yes, and there's a church in the United States. It's a mega church in Atlanta, Georgia, uh-huh. that has come up with a church growth policy, a church growth plan. Okay, so this is how they're going to produce church growth. Does it have something to do with money? Just before I ask the question, does it have something to do with they're going to pay people or get paid? Well, a bit of both, I guess, uh-huh. but they're going to grow. Uh huh. Weed. Oh. <laughs> oh, what? So, so Leonard Mega Church pastor contended that growing cannabis on his church property would be a successful outreach tool. He says New Birth is the largest landowning black church in America. He says my position to my deacons is, why aren't we raising cannabis? 
The effort would not only bring black males to the church, but also give them the opportunity to learn concepts of sustainable farming and preserving the ecosystem. Are they? I'll be able to bring in black males. I'm teaching them farming. I'm helping them to enhance the ecosystem. Uh, so if the guy, black boy um, in Bankhead said, they're growing weed at that church, where do I join? I don't need no pamphlet for him. <laughs> wait, 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 hold on, hold on. This is, no, this is okay, so are they growing, the are they growing like the hemp plant or are they growing marijuana? No, 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 marijuana? no, cannabis. Cannabis is what they're growing. Marijuana, they're, now they're not growing it yet. They are proposing to grow this because they're saying this would be an awesome way of getting young males to church. It's like come along to church, get some free weed. Dude, imagine what that church would smell like during the service. Dude. Okay, the bizarre thing about this is that it's still illegal to do this in Georgia. Yeah, that's right. I was thinking Georgia isn't a, isn't no. a legal state. Georgia's law does not legalise the sale or possession of marijuana in leaf form and it does not authorise the production or sale of food products infused with low THC oil or the ingestion of low THC oil through vapour. It does not authorise physicians to prescribe marijuana for medical use. I think okay, so so this is this is a kind of bizarre thing. It's like okay, how are we going to get people to church? Well, let's give everybody an addictive, mind-altering drug that often produces psychosis. No, it's be- it's better than that, Lyle. Let's get everyone to church by becoming a literal criminal enterprise. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> like <laughs> that's like uh, uh, let's become a drug peddling cartel. I mean, church. Well, it's interesting, and that's I was shocked in- at this. That's insane. Hear about these stats this is from Pew Research. 53% of, a, of Christians in America support the legalization of marijuana, but only, but 82% of pastors oppose it. Mm-hmm. And you ask, well, why is there such a disparity between those two figures? I'll tell you exactly why from a pastor's perspective. We have to deal with the mm-hmm. consequences of marijuana. Mm-hmm. And we get to see it all the time and we deal with the people whose lives have been destroyed by it and that's why we don't want to see it legalised. Mm. And to think that somebody would want to promote that in a church context, really? You think Jesus would do such a thing? This is outrageous. Babylon has truly fallen. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We're about to head into our interview of the day. Before we do, Lawson's going to bring you the next question for our quiz. Where did Mary go to visit Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, after finding out she was pregnant with the Messiah? We've got we've got Advent questions this morning, guys. You need to you need to scrub up on what you know about the nativity. But again, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. You'll go into the draw to win the Jungle Doctor books. That number again zero four nine one. 064-669. And that question was, where did Mary go to visit Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, after finding out she was pregnant with the Messiah? Fantastic. If you know the answer, you know the, know the number to call. But joining us on the phone this morning from Creation Ministries International is Dr. John Anderson. Dr. John Anderson, welcome to the show. Yes, good morning, Lyle. Thanks for having me on the program again. 
Dr. John Anderson, I was reading an article this morning while I was getting ready for the show about mega wombats in Queensland. So very, very large wombats the size of sheep in Queensland. And this article was claiming that they existed around about 80,000 years ago. But when I read my Bible, you know, they're not going to be more than about 6,000 years old. How do we, you know, we've got radiocarbon dating. We've got all kinds of different ways that, you know, scientists supposedly uh, come up with these different dates. How do we deal with the contrast between what one body of science says and what another body of science says in relationship to, you know, some of these very, very old dates as compared to the biblical narrative? Well, there's no doubt, Lyle, as you uh, as you rightly say, that when you look at the Bible, uh, all you can get out of that is about 6,000 years of uh, Earth history, and yet uh, Christians are well aware, and, and so is the secular world, that when some of these supposedly scientific dating principles are applied to uh, old samples, they do come up with these uh, these huge uh, huge lengths of uh, of time, and people wonder if the uh, the time frames can be reconciled because uh, on the surface they can't both be right, and of course they're not. And uh, I thought I'd talk this morning about carbon dating and uh, and just explain why it's not quite the uh, the reliable system that it's believed to be. The way it works is uh, is this: a, a very small amount of carbon in the atmosphere is radioactive carbon. We call it C14, and it's formed by the impact of cosmic radiation on atmospheric nitrogen atoms, and it converts them to carbon 14, which then combines with oxygen to form carbon 14 dioxide. And at any given time, there is a certain ratio of uh, radioactive carbon dioxide to normal carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And if we think of the uh, the standard carbon cycle, uh, we know that uh, animals and man breathe in oxygen and we expire carbon dioxide, and plants do the reverse, of course. They take in the carbon dioxide and they uh, they put oxygen back into the atmosphere. And while an animal or plant is alive, uh, it has the same ratio of radioactive carbon to uh, normal carbon in its system. But when it dies, it doesn't take in any further carbon. And the carbon-14 that's already there begins to decay radioactively. And that's the principle behind carbon dating. And we have to say that the uh, the scientific concept behind it was brilliant. And uh, the guy who proposed it was a guy called Willard Libby, and he got a well-deserved Nobel Prize for it because he reasoned that if we knew the uh, prevailing ratio of uh, carbon-14 to carbon-12 when the animal was alive, and of course we could measure what the ratio was in the fossil we're looking at, and we can uh, measure the amount in the atmosphere now, and we know the decay rate, he felt that we would be able to calculate how long ago it was that it had died. And the, the concept was brilliant. But there was one major catch to it. Yes, we uh, we do know the uh, the present day ratio because we can measure it. We can measure the uh, ratio in the sample, and we do know the decay rate. But what about the ratio when the uh, the fossil or sample was alive? Because we can't go back in time to measure that. 
And uh, to make the, uh, the calculation work, you have to assume that it's the same as it is now. But there are some major reasons why that's, uh, that's quite unlikely and why it is, was probably very much less. And if it was less, that would bring down the uh, calculated age dramatically. And the reason why we, uh, we think that it was uh, very much less is that the Earth has a magnetic field and that magnetic field protects us from cosmic radiation. And it seems almost certain that the strength of that magnetic field was greater in the past. And we know that because uh, it's been measured for about 200 years and it's declined by somewhere between 10 and 15% in that 200 years. Now, that is a, uh, a very, very significant decline. That's huge. And although you, you can't uh, definitely uh, extrapolate that backwards and say it was very much stronger in the past, uh, it's quite likely that it was stronger in the past. And uh, also, it seems that uh, there's evidence that the magnetic field has reversed several times in the past. So really, uh, the, the short answer is we simply don't know what it was like back then when the, uh, the animal was alive. And that would be the case for these, uh, these giant wombats. Uh, how long ago did they die then? We really don't know. And uh, there's another reason, too, why the calculations uh, might be out, because Libby uh, proposed his, uh, his system back in the 1950s. Now, of course, in the decade before that, we had the, uh, the bombs dropped on uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, and uh, we had a lot of uh, atomic testing about the same time. And the amount of radioactivity in the atmosphere when he proposed that uh, was uh, probably much greater and may have also affected the amount of uh, carbon-14 that was around. And of course, since then, we've had uh, Chernobyl and we've had uh, Fukushima. So uh, whatever we measure now, we can't be uh, certain that it was anything like that back in the, uh, back in the past. So all of that means that uh, the results are very questionable and it's very possible that uh, you could reduce even by a factor of 10 the sort of uh, answers that you get. Now, those wombats that are supposedly uh, 70,000 years old, uh, they could be very, very much less than that, maybe six. So, so really, it's not the system that it's, uh, that it's cracked up to be. Yeah, and I probably should, if I could just uh, if I just could just clarify that one um, because I did throw that story at you without any um, kind of preparation here, but uh, I was just re-looking at it as you were going through this, and apparently they have stated here that they're unable to date them uh, due to their age. Okay, so um, the extinct level one unable to be dated due to their age, but a combination of techniques has allowed the team to gauge the age of the giant wombat fragments. So they've used a combination of techniques rather than just one there. Um, but once again, you know, we could talk about those other techniques and come up with similar problems to the ones that you're highlighting here. Yes, well, they, they do have similar problems. They all rely on uh, assumptions that are unprovable and quite uh, possibly unlikely. And, of course, there is a, uh, uh, another problem with uh, so-called carbon dating. People often think that you can get 
uh, results of millions of years out of carbon dating. Well, unfortunately, you, you simply can't, even if uh, the, the years existed, because the way it works with its um, uh, half-life, the maximum age you can get from uh, carbon so-called dating is about uh, 70,000 years. And anything older than that would not have uh, any detectable radiocarbon in it. So that's, that's why that's why these guys are saying, oh, well, you know, it's we've used a combination of methods here because they've actually exceeded the limit of where carbon dating will go. Well, that's, that's exactly right. But uh, it is very, very interesting, Lyle, that uh, a number of uh, samples of things that uh, are generally believed to be multiple millions of years old, like uh, coal or uh, even dinosaur bones, uh, they've been found to have detectable radiocarbon in them. Now, that means it's absolutely scientifically impossible for them to be uh, millions of years old if they have detectable radiocarbon in them. So uh, really, the the world's dating systems, although uh, they're obviously a genuine attempt to to try and uh, get some answer uh, uh, to satisfy people, they all have flaws. And Christians really uh, don't need to be phased by the sort of uh, results that are bandied around because uh, we believe that uh, the Bible means what it says and says what it means. There's no doubt that it says that uh, creation took place about 6,000 years ago. And as far as we're concerned at Creation Ministries, there's never been anything uh, in the way of scientific dating techniques to disprove that because they all rely on unprovable assumptions. Why is it then that these dates are put forward with such confidence by the scientific community? <laughs> well, that's a, uh, that's a very, very good question, uh, Lyle. I mean, uh, if you firmly believe something, and quite clearly the scientific community firmly believes that the, uh, the Earth is... Uh, not just hundreds of thousands, but millions or even billions of years old, then they're working from that assumption and they're interpreting their results in the light of what they already believe. And uh, uh, they, they would simply, if they got an answer that only looked like a couple of thousand years, they would dismiss that, uh, dismiss that as an aberration because they're expecting to come up with uh, all sorts of uh, longer ages than that. So really, uh, you, you you tend to base a lot of uh, what you uh, what you detect on what you already believe, and uh, we we do know that uh, science does dismiss dates that uh, don't accord with what they already believe. You know, just look, looking at this story about these wombats that are supposedly eighty thousand years old. That you know, just it came across my desk this morning, and and it sort of caught my attention here. But one of the things that occurred to me was that the further we, you know, that the, the, these older animals are always seem to be bigger. We talk about the megafauna. The megafauna doesn't exist anymore, and around the world you get things that are bigger. And just from a process of natural selection, I would have thought that things, the, the bigger animals, would have been more likely to survive than the smaller ones. Isn't it kind of the opposite of evolution that the bigger animals have all died off? You know, the stronger animals have died off and the weaker ones have survived? I mean, I know that's slightly off the the topic, but it just was a thought that came to my mind. 
Yeah, well, of course, a lot of those uh, bigger animals, and we do know that in the past they were huge. They were absolutely yeah. uh, giants. But, of course, most of them died, what we believe, in Noah's flood. And most of the fossils that are uh, detected around the world are the uh, remains of uh, animals that died in the flood. Because according to the Bible, the only uh, uh, air-breathing, land-dwelling animals left on the face of the earth are the descendants of those that survived the flood. Now, one of the things that I think we uh, we have to concede is that the the Earth's climate post-flood is very different from what it was pre-flood. Yes. And one of the reasons we can say that is uh, the vast amount of uh, coal that is uh, buried in the Earth. And uh, that has come, we believe, from the vegetation that was on Earth during the flood that was all uprooted and all uh, buried in uh, sediment, and we find it now as coal. And there's a monstrous amount of it, and it's all over the world. We even find it in the Antarctic. And, of course, there's no trees or vegetation in the Antarctic anymore. So clearly the Earth's climate is, uh, is vastly different now from what it was pre-flood. And uh, it hasn't been perhaps quite as conducive to the survival of, uh, of large animals. Mm, mm. So that may, that may be one of the explanations. Of course, there could be many more. For sure. Dr. John Anderson, it's always fascinating to speak with you here on Faith FM Radio. Before you go, very quickly, how do we interact with uh, Creation Ministries? Uh, well, we have a website, creation.com, and uh, I would advise any listeners who have any questions at all to go to that, uh, that website, creation.com, because it has a search window, and on the website uh, we have more than 14,000 uh, articles uh, addressing nearly every question that anybody could have. So all they have to do is type the question into the search window. It'll bring up a whole raft of articles on that particular topic. Uh, you can uh, choose what you want to read. It's all free. It's all readily accessible. All you need to do is Google creation.com and you're on the site. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.